Welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Kekovich and Leon Wiegard. Sam, hello, old boy. Uh, Leon, absolute delight. Now, look, uh, now you're, you're in the engineering game. Now, technology's amazing, Leon. When you and I played, you know, mouth guards. What, were, what was a mouth guard? Did you ever hear of a mouth guard? They didn't have them in my day. Do you know what they've got now? They've developed a technology in a mouth guard with a microchip in it, which can determine not so much the level of acumen, but how many hits and jolts you've had, which will determine ultimately, you know, where you stand in terms of, uh, you know, your, your, your brain being damaged. Can you believe that? I'd like to say good morning to John Gill, who played for the Richmond Water Polo Club, who knocked my front tooth out two grand finals in a row. The first year, I've pushed it back up and there was no problem. The second year, I had to go and see Dr. Aylett, who, uh, who put a plate in there. Plate. Well, look, I would have retained my TV. If that technology was available when I played, do you know what? I wouldn't have skipped Friday night's dinner. I would have been able to chew it. Uh, but that's an amazing technology. It, it is, yeah. A microchip and a mouth guard, which now can determine in the, in the, in the, in the event of an impact just what level it has and the impact it has on your brain. And, well, and no. one of the industries that probably is under-discussed about uh, brain injury and, uh, and, and, the, and the problems of, of being hurt, injured, uh, is, in fact, uh, uh, the subject of our guest today because uh, jockeys, when they fall, it's a big fall. It's, they're going like the clappers and they fall from a long way up there. And, um, well, this guy can tell us about it and it's a great thrill to be able to say good morning to Jim Pumper Cassidy. Good morning, Jimmy. Good morning, gentlemen. What a beautiful morning we've got up here in Barry, and uh, it's wonderful to be talking to you, the wonderful gentlemen. Oh, God, Pumper. What a delight. Just consider this, Leon, if you had a CV like this. Two Melbourne Cups, two Caulfield Cups, a Cox Plate, Golden Slipper, six Derbies, six Oaks, 104 Group 1 winners. You're in the, inducted in the Hall of Fame both in Australia and New Zealand and you're widely regarded as one of the sublime talents in the, in the pigskin, an all-round good bloke. What more, how would you be getting up every morning and shaving and having a look at yourself in the mirror? And a very keen golfer. And a very, very more than keen. There's a bit of a shark there, but I won't talk about his golf at the moment. We'll leave that a little bit later on. Uh, you know, this guy arrived here from uh, across the ditch, you know. Wellington. The, from Wellington, yes, near that part, part of the world. Came across here and one of those wonderful horses... Kiwi was the one that put you on the map. Remember, Kiwi, you still... Oh, you couldn't forget that, right? <laughs> yeah, I, ne I never forget the one that opened all the doors for me, boys. It was a great thrill. I dreamed about riding in that great race called the Melbourne Cup, and it come around in 83, a lot quicker than I expected. And to be able to win it on one of your country horses, beautifully named Kiwi, was an outstanding thrill. Uh, something I dreamed about, something I achieved at a very young age of 20, and... Uh, guys, it seems like it was yesterday. Well, I reckon I must have seen the last uh, 30 or 40 grand, uh, Melbourne Cups, Jimmy, but the one that I remember most is Kiwi because it was such a slashing run down the outside and came from nowhere. Uh, tell us about that. Uh, well, a, a, about the horse. Did you give it a real chance before the race? And tell us about the timing of that uh, that run down the outside. Yeah, look, it was an outstanding performance. He, he'd won a... 2200 metre race in New Zealand a place called Hara prior to the Cup 
the most outstanding thing about it that he had not had a run one month prior to that first Tuesday in November and even though the bookies said that he probably couldn't win the race not having a run in Australia prior to the Cup, they kept him pretty tidy at 11-1 to 1 for some six weeks prior to the Cup and he jumped 11-1 to 1 on Cup Day. So they obviously thought he had ability the way he won the Wellington Cup in New Zealand coming from last, but could he do it in the Melbourne Cup? Uh, I was lucky enough to meet the great man himself, Mr Roy Higgins, prior to the Melbourne Cup and I was lucky enough to ask him for some advice about how to win the Melbourne Cup because I thought he had such a great chance. He said, son, where do you think you'll be at the at the 2000, the first time round in the Melbourne Cup? I said, I'll be last, Mr Higgins. He said, that's good, son. He said, you want to be as close to the fence as you can so you're not covering any extra ground. I said, I'll be right, Mr Higgins. I'll be last. I'll be on the fence. Anyhow, he said, son, he said, where do you think you'll be at the 1000? He said, the Melbourne Cup pretty much starts then. Horses that can't get two miles start to get the stitch. The ones that can get the two miles start to work into the race and hold their position. I said, I'll be last, Mr Higgins. I'll still be watching them. I'll be waiting. And he looked at me and thought, well, okay. He said, where do you think you'll be at the 600? I said, last, Mr Higgins. He said, well, put his hand out, shook me hand. He said, good luck, son. He must have thought I had two heads. <laughs> I think I was going to be last, last, last. Anyhow, we, we come down the outside and win. And late that afternoon, I heard a recording of Mr Higgins and Mr Clem Dimsey, who called the 83 Melbourne Cup. God bless him. They're both uh, above looking at us. And he said, I met that little Jimmy Cassidy prior to the Melbourne Cup. And he said he had the audacity to say he was going to be last, last, and had the audacity again to say he was going to be last at the 600 and win the Melbourne Cup. Mr Higgins said that was the most outlandish statement I ever, ever heard. So on the on the Wednesday after the cup, I went and bought a dictionary to see what outlandish meant, but I was right. <laughs> <laughs> he was a super bloke, Roy Higgins, and uh, Sam and I knew him very, very well. He was a member of the Carbine Club and uh, uh, a super fella, and uh, we miss him badly. Um, now, can I just start with you, uh, Jimmy, going back to your family, um, uh, and particularly a brother that I'd never heard of, Ricky. Uh, we know yeah. about your other brother, but uh, tell us about Ricky. Yeah, Ricky was my older brother. He's 62. Um, he's the oldest boy of the family, the second of seven. And he had the passion at an early age also, and mum and dad gave him the opportunity away to the stables. And uh, I always had the bug because we used to go to the races, me and my brother and dad and the family, and we'd go around picking up all the old betting tickets trying to get a dollar that someone had thrown one away. And um, when Ricky went away to the stables, I said, Dad, can I go too? I want to learn to be a jockey. And uh, look, Ricky got a little bit heavy, rode a, a, a number of group uh, races on the flat and, and then continued to ride over fences and smashed himself up pretty bad a few times and decided to give it away. And, and then a little fella called Jim Cassidy come along, his brother, and tried to keep the ball rolling as we did. Jimmy, uh, to just quickly on that Kiwi Cup, you mentioned it was eleven to one. Why would you be interested in that? Jockeys don't, would, you know, jockeys don't normally associate themselves with odds. You're not allowed to bet. <laughs> no, well, jockeys aren't allowed to bet. But I thought I, I was being a little Kiwi. I was only twenty, and I said to me boss, I was getting eighteen dollars a week at the time, kick, which is not a lot of money. You're flat buying a schooner. And uh, I said to me, boss, I said, can I borrow two grand? He said, what for? I said, well, I'm not going to go that far and have not have a bet. So I was 
I was staying at the Park Royal in Melbourne at St Kilda at the time. Park Royal, salubrious. Yes, I, I got a I got a taxi from the Park Royal to Flemington and back. 1983 cost me $1.74. I and you got yourself a hire car. I said, forget about the cab, brother. I'm going home in the streets limo. Do <laughs> <laughs> you hate the stewards out in the sea now? Retrospectivity is still around, you know. They can go back a bit. I'm not worried about the stewards. I was more worried about the taxation department. <laughs> I've got for nothing for a change. <laughs> now, Jimmy, the other thing I always ask a Kiwi, a male Kiwi in particular, what would you rather be, an all-black or a jockey? Well, my first my first uh, passion, Keck, was to be an all-black being a Kiwi, but I sort of done the sums and had a look at the old lot of the all-black footage, and I never seen a four-foot-two all-black run around, so I decided <laughs> to be a jockey. Oh, look, I know you're challenged. I know you might be challenged from a height perspective, but that wasn't my point. You know, there's a lot of small guys can play very good at half, <clears throat> be a very good halfback. Oh, I love me footy. I actually come to Australia in 1974 to play uh, to play rugby for a little club in Wellington, Lower Hutt, called the Hutt Old Boys. And uh, I was 11 years of age. We got paid 50 cents a game. Admittedly, we never won a game, but I had fun spending the 50 cents because it took me a long way back in 74. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jimmy, uh, i got to ask you, because, look, I, look, I've known your career backwards, so I'm a punter, unashamed punter, a bad one, albeit. But we're all involved with that volatile investment portfolio that more commonly called the punt. Uh, yes. And the, the, uh, the name Jay Cassidy was always prominent when you opened up the tissues of a Saturday morning. Uh, <laughs> but despite that impressive CV I just read out, you know, controversy was right next door to you, your doorstep. I mean to say very clearly, I remember the famous jockey tapes affair where you cop three yeah. months fine and... It was alleged you were copying money from Tony Mockbell for giving tips, allegedly. Uh, I don't know whether that was the case or not, but you'd, you did three months. Uh, that must have been a defining and pivotal moment in time for yeah, you. It was, Kit. Look, I, I love the game and you have ups and downs and, um, you know, it, it, it's a funny game, racing. One door shuts in your face and another one opens, so... Look, controversy was always sort of followed me, but it was a matter of how you handled it and how you come out the other side. And look, I was uh, I was no different to any other jockey. You you do, do do things and you may regret them or whatever. But look, in in my racing career, I never had any regrets. I met some wonderful people from all different walks of life. Yes, I did have a punt. Yes, I got time for tipping, but no different to anyone else. But I was determined. I, I actually got five years kept. I done three. Yeah, I know. Uh, but I was determined to come back, and come back I did. And there was only one way to do it, and that was in style and get your name back in lights as quick as possible. And you've done and I was that. Lucky enough, I was lucky enough to be able to do that on a little horse called Might and Power. You've done that successfully. We'll get the Might and Power shortly, but I've got to also say, in all due respect, you must have been a wonderful tipster. 
to be tipping the mock bell and still telling the story. So you must have been yeah. tipping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You must have tipped a lot of winners, boy. Oh, yeah. I wish I, I, I wish I had your number then. Hey. I had a good run at one time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jimmy, do I remember uh, getting a f- uh, seeing you in a photo during your little holiday from racing working at the wholesale fruit and vegetable market? Yeah, I'd done a little bit of everything. Uh, I sold a bit of fruit and veg. I went and done a bit of labouring. Um, I just occupied my time to keep me wife and my daughters happy and food on the table and school and but look there are only little hiccups in life as I say it's how you handle it how you want to come out the other side and uh, look I enjoyed my time because it gave me more time with the family and my girls growing up and instead of being on planes flying into state riding at race meetings so where there was negatives there was also a lot of positives in the respect of family time and mum and dad and that sort of thing so I took it hard, but I appreciated it more when I got back and never got uh, too disgruntled on the game because it was a game that I wanted to be in so much and fight back. Well, that's why you're loved by the whole world, loves Jimmy Cassidy, you know, for your fighting spirit. And the people invariably judge you on when you do hit the, uh, you know, the, uh, the bottom, of, bottom of the food chain and work your way up uh, unashamedly. Now, uh, you're a very, very colourful person, Jimmy, I know that. I remember your little spat you had with John Singleton on a horse called, I think it was Dear Demi. Yes. Uh, you remember that? You got beaten on it, he said, now you'll never ride another horse for me. In fact, that's you're correct. sacked that's now. Correct. Is that what he it's, said? Yeah, there was the, the day, uh, the, the Saturday at Flemington prior to the Oaks on the Thursday, I, I rode um, uh, Dear Demi in the Wakefield. I went the length of the straight at Flemington and never got out and uh, the stewards cleared me of a, an unlucky ride. I'd done the right thing by knocking no one down and i come back in and... I think the horse drifted it, alarmingly in the betting too that day, didn't it? Apparently it did. <laughs> uh, uh, apparently it did. And then um, Singo said, you'll never ride another one for me if you ride it like that. I said, Singo, forget about talking to me. I'll ride it on Thursday. It'll win. I'll ride it like Kiwi. And whatever you lost on Saturday, triple your bet. And, and the rest is history. We come from second last in the Oaks and the pump won his sixth, uh, fifth BRC Oaks. It was a wonderful day. Talking about the pump, who gave you the name Pumper? My first girlfriend. She was six foot two. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful girl she was. <laughs> oh, you couldn't script that, could you? Yeah, did you go the, did you go the distance? <laughs> Just repeat that, pup. I'm not sure I heard that. We normally play this stream. The kids are still she eating. Said, you're the, she said, you're the pupper. And I said, well, ring a ding ding, darling. Give me a ring. <laughs> Take everything from the top shelf, eh? You must have some pandas in the room. Oh, God. Uh, let's go on to the racetrack now. And Might and Power, of course, is uh, Jim Cassidy, your, uh, your part and parcel of it all. And uh, tell us about the... The back, the back story to how how you got that ride and the association with the stable. Um, Nick Moraitis. And I got a call from Jack Denham. He said, uh, you want me to get you back on track, son? I said, I'd love you to, Jack. And he said, well, uh, I'll find one for you. And on the Tuesday prior to the Caulfield Cup, I didn't have a ride, and I was humming and harring whether I kept chasing a chance 
you know, you always want to come to Melbourne and be competitive. And at that stage, I didn't really have a ride in the cup. We're going to be competitive. I left the track that morning, and then I got a phone call from Jack Dow about 10 to 9 that Tuesday morning. He goes, is that you, Cassidy? I said, yeah, it is, Jack. What do you want? He said, you got to ride in the Caulfield Cup. I said, I haven't. He said, well, you have now. You're riding might and power and hung up. I didn't even get a chance to say thanks. <laughs> Uh, we got to we got to Caulfield. I had a meeting with my manager on the Friday night, Brett Grant, sipping on a little whiskey about six o'clock that night after I'd done my work. And he said, uh, "How are you going to ride him, pump?" I said, "I'm going to lead at all costs." He said, "Well, if you do," he said, "Jack, I'll give you another point." I said, "Well, the last time I seen Jack was on Monday morning." I said, "He's 83. He's on a walking stick, so he's going to have to run fast to catch me. I can tell you that." So the last thing he said to me in the manning yard was, don't look. I said, yeah, good as gold, Jack. And I had every intention to lead. I thought if he led in the Caulfield Cup, I could ride him to run 12 to the furlong for a mile and a half, which was always going to be close to a track record. He was nicely weighted. He was as fit as you could ever see him. Uh, and, and the rest was history. I, I led. I dictated the race. I had a little look at the 600 to see where they are. Where the, where the runners were, whether they were coming round me quick. I did have a little interest each way. My dad, two and a half thousand at 15 to one, so I was trying to work that out at 600. And I thought, I'm not going to wait for these blokes, I'm out of there. And uh, we ended up winning by seven, and that was uh, that was the icing on the cake after the infamous jockeys' tapes and all the scandal and all that become toilet paper and fish and chip wrapping, so Pump was on his way back. So, uh, so the association with Might and Power, of course, continued with Melbourne Cups and all sorts of wonderful wins. And the other one, that, uh, because it's a New Zealand story, is uh, Rough Habit and Johnny Wheeler. Yes. Oh, look, he was a wonderful horse, Rough Habit. To, to have a horse that was as little as he was, uh, he won nine Group 1s, he went to a Japan Cup, he went to America... He's still come back to Australia and New Zealand and won at Group 1 level. An amazing horse. Uh, I was lucky enough to win in all-age states. Queen Elizabeth, I won three Doombin Cups, two Stradbrokes. Um, he, he, I think one of his greatest wins was in Melbourne on Caulfield Cup Day. Mm. He won a seven-furlong welter heading to the McKinnon Stakes at Flemington. And uh, he come from last that day. The, the race was held up for some three or four minutes because of torrential rain at Caulfield. And he won that day, come from last over 1,400 to get up in the last stride and win. And he carried something like 61 kilos. Absolutely phenomenal performance. And one of the top five horses, one of the great horses I was lucky enough to ride. Of course, uh, you're not the only famous Cassidy, really. You know, your brother Larry made a quite a name for himself as well. A very, very... Uh a very, very competent rider in his own right. Won the New South Wales yeah, uh, Jockeys Premiership. Jockeys Premiership, yep. Well, one thing Larry was able to do that Jimbo couldn't. I won one Sydney Premiership and he won two. But, uh, look, I was very proud of my brother and very much still are. He's, uh, he's a lovely jockey, positions horse as well. Um, not as good-looking as me, doesn't think as quick as me, but a, a wonderful brother, Keck, a wonderful brother. Well, when you think of your connections, you, I can understand why he doesn't think as quick. But anyhow, <laughs> tell me, uh, tell me, uh, and your lovely daughter is married to a prominent jockey uh, uh, in Hong Kong, I, pres- I, I believe. Yeah, yes, Z- Z- young Zach. Uh, Zach Purden. My daughter's 33, and 
she's lucky enough to, to have a great partner in Zach and uh, they're a great team. They've been very successful in Hong Kong boys and very proud of him. He's, uh, it's a tough school up there in Hong Kong, but he's risen, risen to the top in a very short time and uh, he's been one of the leading riders there for a number of years and, and holds a record of winning every major race in Hong Kong, which is an outstanding achievement. Jimmy, uh, you've ridden all over the world and you've seen some of the great trainers or you've ridden for some of the great trainers. Who are the, uh, who, who would you regard, you know, it's very difficult to isolate one when you consider the stables you've ridden for, but who would you classify as your top, top two trainers? Well, to me, ring-a-ding-ding, Bart was the king. He was a great man to ride for as a horse trainer. He, he was a great individual to be around. I learned so much off him by watching and listening, and anyone that was lucky enough to have uh, many years in the company of the king, uh, if they didn't learn anything, well, they should, should have got out of the game. And uh, I think that proves watching um, his grandson, James Cummings, direct the mighty powerful Godolphin stable. James spent a number of years with Bart, obviously, prior to going out on his own. And I was very lucky the same that I was able to do that, Keck, Bart and Tommy and and obviously Gay, Chris Waller and my, my other great mate that I rode for was Maxie Lewis. He, he was an absolute yeah. champion trainer, a, a wonderful man and a, a man that went from being a jockey to an outstanding horse trainer, which we find... Not many jockeys are able to do that, but Maxie back in his day was able to do it and be very successful. So I was lucky, Keck. I rode for all the great trainers. Uh, I wasn't everyone's cup of tea, but I'd put a sugar in it, stir it left or right, stir it left or right, and I'd sweeten them up. They'd put me on sooner or later. Well, mate, regardless <laughs> of uh, what they might have thought, you always managed to get your nose in front where it really mattered, first and foremost. Uh, Tommy, uh, yeah. we ride very tight in Australia, and Australian racing's... Uh, you know, perceived broadly as, you know, as, as good a racing as there is in the world. Just how competitive and how good are our jockeys on that scale? Our jockeys will go anywhere in the world on their own. Uh, any country in the world, be Japan, Hong Kong, anywhere. They've they proved it and they continue to do it year after year. We've got some wonderful jockeys in Melbourne and Sydney and even Adelaide. Uh, you could pick any jockey, you'd come in with a set of colours and throw them to any jockey at Flemington. I'd be happy to have them on being an ex-jockey and also in Sydney. We've got wonderful jockeys. Uh, we ride very tight in Australia compared to anywhere in the world and I, I think that's why the, where the cream comes to the top. Positioning, balance and, and reading races is very important and we've got a lot of wonderful jockeys that can do that. You're on Sport and Life. Our guest is uh, Jimmy Cassidy with uh, Sam Kekovich and Leon Wigard. And, of course, with the compliments of Mitchell and Wine and your special one, the oh, print. The, the print, you just can't beat it. It's an early one too. I won't nominate the year because they'll, <laughs> they'll be knocking the door down to get inside and knock off the last bit I've got left in the bottle. But it's a lovely tincture. It's, uh, well, it's late afternoon now, so I'm entitled to have a sip. Uh, it is just delightful. It just slithers down your throat. Uh, it's not even a hint of a bite. The tannins are rich, and it comes from that beautiful Nagambi area. I think we know the owner there, Jerry. Uh, 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 we, we do so, and he's a, a great racing man himself, of course, with 50 stars running around at the moment. Um, the great uh, Jerry Ryan, I think. Uh, th three, three Melbourne Cups in the last 10 years? He has indeed. Now, uh, Pumper, um, yes. you were talking about all those um, trainers. One of our favourite blokes in here, and we—he uh, was a guest on our program not long ago. 
is Peter Moody, and uh, you run, I think your last Group 1 winner was uh, Dissident for Peter Moody. Dissident for the great man, Peter Moody. What a man he's been. Uh, I had a bit of luck with, with Pete when he was uh, a foreman for a few trainers in Sydney, then he went out on his own, and what he was able to do with Black Caviar was probably one of the greatest things I've ever seen. We see some great horses, but to have a mare, a filly like that, go through unbeaten what a training performance. Uh, I don't think you'll find a better bike than Peter Moody, to be honest. I've met some wonderful people in racing, but uh, I don't think there's any better than the great man, Peter Moody himself. Wonderful trainer and a, an outstanding human being. Jimmy, just on trainers, what uh, Chris Waller, an enigma Chris Waller, I know when he first came out from New Zealand, he stayed there with Richie Callender, didn't have a horse. But, uh, yeah. you know, he's just gone from, you know, from zero to hero virtually overnight. What is the key to these the success of guys like Waller? Is it because they're great horsemen or they have great vets or they know their stock or well, it, sheer weight of numbers? It, what it, is it? His work ethic is, is outstanding. It's equivalent to the Barts and Tommies and Gays and the Colin Hayes and, and trainers like that. He, he put into his horses. Uh, he has a great team around him, as in staff. He uses the best jockeys, and numbers win everything, Keck. You know that in, in any walk of life. When you've got mm. numbers, you've, you can have turnover and you can have setbacks, but you've got some something to fill the hole of the one that goes amiss. And he, he, he's got a great eye. He's got a great team around him, as I say, and just the ultimate professional. And being a Kiwi, I expect nothing else, Keck. <laughs> Uh, exactly the segue I was looking forward to. Now, tell me uh, your good self. Uh, you've taken on the cudgels of training. Yeah, I've been helping Jim and Greg Lee out at Ramwick, which I've enjoyed immensely. And uh, I got the monkey off my back last week with uh, a horse called um, Ladies Gem that was able to win the last race at Gosford last week. I've what been there it, about three and a half months. We haven't had a lot of runners, but it was nice to get the monkey off. What, the, the, what were the betting fluctuations on that race? Twenties, uh, thirties, out to eighty-seven dollars. Had a little bit, kick, not a lot, but had a little bit. It, it, took, it took me on a bus and bought me some bread and milk for a week. Eighty-seven dollars, it was. It blew out to eighty-seven bucks. Did you give it a chance before it ran? He was far too strong. He won like a five to two chance when he was eighty-seven dollars. I was a little bit shocked, but. I wasn't shocked the way he won in the respect, the way he'd been going on the track. Well, what have you got coming up just for the benefit of, you know, those that are just looking for a five bob each way bet or someone that, <clears throat> pardon me, someone like Leon who is, uh, you know, more partial to a more uh, prominent bet? Oh, yeah. Uh, Ten uh, bucks each way, mate. Uh, Rocket Spade, I think it's called, the Lance O'Sullivan trained horse in the AJC Derby on Saturday. Uh, he's a great horseman, he was a great jockey and now training, he's taking all before him and I know he wouldn't be bringing a horse to Sydney unless he thought it would be competitive in the derby. He's won his last couple. He's actually staying with Jim and Greg at our stable at Ramwick. He looks terrific and he's my tip for the derby. Uh, Jimmy, good luck with that one and thank you very much for being uh, part of our Sport and Life podcast. It's uh, been a great pleasure and a lot of fun having the pumper on, and uh, we must do it again soon, uh, Jimmy. I would love to, boys. It's been a pleasure uh, getting up early to speak to you two lovely gentlemen in Melbourne, and I look forward to getting back there very, very soon to catch up with you Jimmy, both. Jimmy, just one quick one before you go. Yes? Can you hear me? 
I can hear you, Keck. That's six foot two. Do you still see her? I do. She sends me a text every now and then, but I said, I'm happily married now, darling, so ring it ding ding or clickety clack, I ain't coming back. <laughs> Jim Cassidy on Sport and Life. <laughs>